they're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Orville and Christopher Dean. Alex Philadelphia. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely. She's got it. Yes! It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for another interview and we are so pumped and excited to bring you today's guest on the show, episode 94 of Off The Podium. We're getting very close to the big century and did you enjoy the new intro? I enjoyed the new intro. It's a great sounding intro because we have to alternate the introductions now. We are that close to Beijing without still having had Tokyo that we kind of have to have different introductions so you know when you're listening to something to do with the Winter Olympics and the Summer Olympics. Not that you probably didn't know that already from the title, but hey, we like to make things more precise, I guess. Today, we're getting precise with our guest. Brianna Walker is her name. Brie, as she likes to be called, she is an Australian bobsledder, particularly quite good at the sport of monobob, which is a brand new event at the Beijing Winter Olympics next year. As it sounds, it's a one-person bobsled. It's that simple. And women's monobob will make its debut next year. Brie goes into great detail about what drew her to the sport of bobsleigh, having come from a background of track and field, switching into bobsleigh, and talking up her chances of meddling at Beijing. Now, she hasn't actually qualified for the Olympics yet, but she will qualify, let's be honest. She's done very well in the last World Cup series. She finished second overall and created history by becoming the first Australian to ever medal at a bobsled World Cup. She won two events across the series and, as I said, finished second. So did very well for herself and is a real medal shot in Beijing next year. You will know this person's name. You will know Bree's name in less than a year's time. You can guarantee it. So let's hear my chat with the one the only, Brianna Walker from the sport of bobsled. Very excited today for our next guest here on Off The Podium, a bobsleigh athlete with a bit of a difference somewhat in a sport that's going to be making its debut at the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics. When I say sport, I should say a format of the sport. Bobsled, of course, has been around in the Olympics for quite some time, but monobob has not been in the Olympics before. Women's monobob will make its debut. And as it sounds, it is mono. It is one person basically in a bobsleigh. And it's very entertaining, very exciting. And a big medal shot at the Olympics next year is Australian Brianna Walker, who has been doing very, very well in the World Series. She finished second in the recent World Series. Couple of wins in that tournament, I guess you could call it. And uh, is a very good hope for doing very well in Beijing when she makes it. I'm not going to say should she makes it, when she makes it. She's joining us on the show right now to chat a little bit more about the sport and her career and everything else in between. Bree, it is a pleasure to welcome you to Off the Podium. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. 
it's so exciting to talk about this sport because we we were lucky enough a couple of years ago to speak to Devin Harris, one of the original Jamaican bobsledders. But outside of that, we've not really covered bobsled a lot in terms of our our guests, particularly from my homeland or half of this show's homeland of Australia. And monobob is just exciting. I, I, I don't know why this hasn't been a thing before. One person in a bobsled. This, to me, makes sense. Why not? Why hasn't this happened before? So, I mean, this is a fairly new version of, of bobsleigh, is it not? Yeah, it's, it was usually used as a training tool for pilots to begin to learn how to drive. And after the last Olympics, there was a bunch of uh, female athletes who campaigned to have four-man, um, to allow women to compete in four-man event. And uh, I guess I went to a vote uh, with the IOC and the IBSF, which is our International Bobsleigh and Skeleton Federation, and they decided uh, for whatever reason, there are probably multiple reasons that um, women uh, weren't able to compete in for men, but we they did want equality for women. And so then they decided that monobob would be the best pick for us. And I, I think it's been fantastic for the sport. It's brought so many other nations back into the sport. Our fields have grown so much. And so, yeah, it's been really exciting to see the development of the sport over the last three years. Because they're, are they not standardised sleds in monobob, sort of a, a little bit different to what you do have in the, in the two-man and the four-man? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So every, every, all athletes have the same sled. So really it's just a comparison of the athletic ability of the pilot. So I would push the sled by myself and then I jump in and drive the sled. And because we have all the same equipment, it's evened out the playing field Um because all these smaller nations who can't afford um, the top of the line equipment, like maybe the Germans or the Americans, Canadians, um, we've seen some great successes in not just like Australia, but other smaller nations coming through. It's been really exciting. Jamaica were winning a couple, I believe, in uh, this series as well, which, of course, everybody equates mm-hmm. bobsleigh and Jamaica. So it obviously gives a chance that maybe, you know, a, a cool running style thing is going to be a little bit more realistic this time around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is pretty exciting, as you say, to kind of for these smaller nations and everything along those lines to sort of get involved because, I mean, bobsleigh is a, a unique sport in the fact that it's not like you can just go down the street to your local bobsled track, is it? There's a very uh, select mm-hmm. few tracks around the world. So to, mm-hmm. I guess, open up that field to enable people to, to get in that. And has it, have, has it seen participation rise in terms of the monobob? A lot of women getting involved now in the sport to, I guess, have that even playing field and they might feel they have a better chance in going for the other series of bobsled? Yeah, definitely. I think it was becoming a really a big nation show before Monobob was um, it, like included. And so there were, it was really defeating for a lot of the smaller nations. They were putting a lot of money in and not really getting the results. And so whether their federations are like, we're not going to fund this anymore, or whether the athletes are like, well, what's the point? Um, they were the reasons that it, like that smaller nations were dropping out of the sport. But with the inclusion of Monobob, um, all these smaller nations and um, other other winter sport nations like uh, Netherlands and then France, uh, Italy, 
they, they've all started coming back into the sport and our fields have grown from where there was like 13 teams competing in World Cup a few years ago to having 20, 21, 23 wow. athletes and uh, teams. And that's been just so fantastic because I think that that means that the sport has a future. If there was, if there was starting to dwindle away on the teams, our sport would die. So, yeah, it's, been, it's just been so great for the sport. Got to ask a question when it comes to one glaring factor about a monobob. Generally, in a bobsleigh, you have a driver and a brake person. Uh, given mm-hmm. that you, by yourself, are you doing both? Is there a sort of a different braking system that you've got to do? Given that, I guess it's different to how a two-man or a four-man sled would work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the brake is between my legs. So once I cross the line, I have to pull the brake myself. Which in the beginning was a little bit of a, uh, I know, a tricky thing for me. I was, <laughs> I'm used to just crossing the line and kind of analyzing what just happened in that run. And uh, yeah, I had to be like, oh crap, I have to brake here and, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So no, I, I did miss my teammates in the in the first few runs because we were actually in Eagles in Austria, and that track is known notorious for their it's hard braking straight. And so I was like, I miss you girls. But um yeah, I I really still value my team. They're they're a big part of the process, even when it comes to monobob. I need help moving around the sled um and looking after the sled. So yeah, it's really even though it's an individual sport, it's really there's a, a whole team that is behind me on this. Like a lot of people who get into bobsled particularly from say some of the warmer countries you started off in athletics i believe you were a hurdler yeah. if i'm not mistaken um what sort of drew you what was that decision to switch from hurdles to bobsledding yeah i mean bobsled was always something that i did think i like would eventually get into maybe after my track and field career uh, but i was watching the rio olympics and i saw kim brennan win the single skulls event Tazzy and they were telling her <laughs> yeah yeah she, um, and they she was telling uh her they were telling her story that she was a 400 hurdler like myself and that she got injured and she transferred over to rowing just for some rehab and she actually ended up being very good at it and then obviously excelling in the sport and so i thought for myself well maybe my talents lie elsewhere and so i had to ask myself the big question was i going to achieve my goal of representing Australia at the highest level in track and field. And honestly, my answer was no. I'd just come back from college in America and my time over there was fantastic, but I actually got like much slower there. And I was coming back and suffering a few injuries, getting back into hard training. And so I thought maybe um, if I'm to make the switch, I'm going to be able to achieve my goal of representing Australia at the highest level. And so I simply just Googled if there was an Australian bobsleigh team and there wasn't at the time, but there was a talent identification camp. And so I just applied for this camp and yeah, a month later I went up and I um, participated in the talent ID camp. And then I think it was six weeks later, I was off to Whistler in Canada to learn how to drive a bobsleigh. Wow. Jeez. That's crazy. Cause I know it's, um, 
I remember speaking to Emma Lincoln-Smith many, many years ago who got into Skeleton, of course, and I believe she got mm-hmm. a letter in the mail kind of from the AIS sort of going, hey, we've, you know, scouted you as a potential person. Have you thought about switching sports? Because I, I believe this is sort of a, a thing that they do. They have these camps, don't they, sort of the, the federation where they do try and, I guess, try people out for these sledding sports, be it Skeleton, Luge or, mm-hmm. or Bobsleigh. Yeah, I think with the skeleton, they actually had a full-on program at the AIS. Um, Bobsleigh has never had that. But, um, yeah, we do kind of look at other sports and you you look at those athletes who maybe are just below of the cuffs of making an Australian team, but they're still very talented athletes. And so I'm like, your talent should go to, it shouldn't go to waste. Maybe just open your mind and look into other avenues and maybe you can um, find your success there. Of course, like if you love the sport and um, you just enjoy running or enjoy whatever sport you're doing, like that might encourage people to just stay in that sport. But for me, I wanted much more. And, um, yeah, bobsleigh was just a perfect avenue for me to achieve what I wanted out of sport, really. Be, be honest with me, Bree. I, I know our uh, one NHL player, Nathan Walker, basically admitted he got into hockey because he watched the Mighty Ducks movie. Did you like bobsleigh <sighs> because you watched Cool Runnings? Of course. Yes. Well, how else would I have gotten? How else would I have gotten the idea? You know, I was a sprinter myself, and so yeah, no, it definitely, it definitely did inspire me. <laughs> Which, I mean, in all seriousness, jokes aside, it for a country like Australia where we only ever get to see winter sports basically on our TVs every four years during the winter games. And of course, particularly, you know, in, in the nineties when we weren't meddling as much as we do now, it was very much few and far between. So when you're exposed to a, a cool runnings or a mighty ducks and you see something that's a lot more common in the Northern hemisphere, it does open your eyes and you kind of think, well, that does look cool. And you do remember that. And I'm sure that when you sort of switch to bobsleigh and you kind of, you know, are thinking about those early memories when you first see bobsledding potentially on cool runnings you know you think like wow i've come a long way from that kid who probably saw that movie many many years ago yeah yeah no definitely i think i originally just saw bobsleigh and um, no saw cool runnings and thought oh bob's like this is a really cool movie bobsleigh is a wicked sport um and it wasn't until years later that i actually uh, clocked that they were sprinters and they transferred over and yeah maybe i'll like, say oh maybe it's just something i'll do at the end of my career but yeah i was fit and i was i was still had a lot more to give so i thought well why i'm young i may as well transfer over and see how i go and so yeah it was best decision of my life really has it always been a dream of you, yours to, to go for an Olympic spot? Like was this something that when you were from a very young age that you were aiming to become an Olympian? Yeah, for sure. Every single sport that I've done or I've done for a long time, I have wanted to compete at the Olympics. I originally was a horse rider for 10 years and inspired by um, my dad's good friend, Russell Johnson, who competed at the Atlanta Olympics. So I was like, yep, I'm going to compete at the Olympics with horse riding. And then once I got a little bit older and started um, doing quite well in athletics, and obviously I saw Kathy Freeman run at the uh, 2000 games, I was like, no, I'm going to do this in the um, in track and field. And I really felt like I had the talent to be able to compete for Australia. Um, it was just through things along the way that I, I realized that maybe, 
maybe my time had passed and injuries were kind of preventing me from just making that breakthrough to that upper level. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it was just like, okay, well, if this is what I want to achieve, going to the Olympics and representing Australia at a high level is what I want to do. I just need to have an open mind and, and think, how can I do this? And so, yeah, this is a bobsleigh was my, there was other things like rugby was another one that I looked at. My dad's a Queenslander. And so he, he would have loved me to play rugby, I'm sure. But um, yeah. And so I was looking at other areas, but I'm glad I chose bobsleigh. I really think that this is my sport. You were basically an Olympian in 2018. You and you and Ashley Werner were basically on that plane ready to go. You you would qualify. Yeah. The AOC were ticking you off, but ultimately you didn't go. For for people who maybe are a bit unfamiliar with that story, Bree, kind of what happened there? How come you weren't at Pyeongchang in 2018? Yeah, so we did have a quota position uh, to go to Pyeongchang, and we um, did have the support of the Australian Olympic Committee, but unfortunately we didn't achieve some of our federation standards. Uh, to be able to compete at the Games. So our federation didn't nominate us to um, accept our quota position, which was, yeah, really disheartening. I mean, we we went over to North America and we started our season there We can, and we achieved this, uh, qualif- oh, this quota position over there. And for us, we were like, well, this doesn't, like we don't just tick these boxes and then wait for the Olympics to come around. We want to continue to develop as athletes. And so we went over to Europe and we competed in a few races there, including World Junior Champs, because in Bobsleigh, World Junior Champs is um, uh, under 25s and under, so it's quite a lot older. And so, yeah, we we really hustled as a team and we wanted to prove that we deserved that spot there. But unfortunately, we didn't have the support of our federation at the time. Our now our federation has changed hands. Um, so yeah, it was it was really hard. But for me, Pyeongchang was just a stepping stone along the way. I I wanted to always carry on with a sport. It wasn't like I wanted to go to the Olympics and then you know, go off and do other things. Um, So for me, I actually went to Pyeongchang as a spectator and I got to see what it was like to be an athlete there from the outside, which is exciting because I'm not sure if many athletes do get to do that. They're always either at the games and participating. And I actually got to be an observer. And for me, I think that was a great benefit because now going to preparing for these games, I'm going to be able to like uh, put all my knowledge that I saw from going to Pyeongchang and just watching um, into play. So yeah, it's, it, it was it was really hard at the time, but I think it's going to benefit me on like later on down the road. And from that point on, was was mono bob something that you had been exposed to at that point, or did that sort of come yeah. after Pyeongchang and sort of you know as it sort of I guess got closer to being announced as an Olympic sport? Yeah, no, it was it wasn't a part of the program at Pyeongchang, and it was only just introduced after the games. And and do you then can you compete in both? Like, can you be still be a two man and then sort of you know do the the, the monobob at the same time as well? Yeah, yeah, of course. That's that's what I do. I have a fantastic team uh, in Sarah Blizzard and Steph Fernandez. Uh, and we've over the last few years, we've been really uh, moving up the ranks, which is really exciting because I think Australia has never been 
not, I, I wouldn't like to say taken seriously, but seen as a competitive team in the past. Um, and I really think that we're starting to make our mark um, in the sport. And, uh, and there's some people that they'll see our push times and like they'll come over and they'll, you know, give Sarah and Steph like a, a like a pat on the back being like good job and then they'll see like my drives and they'll be like that's impressive and so to get those like little like winks on the side it's really nice for us to know that our hustle is being noticed what is the most important aspect of bobsled is it the start is it the drive what what or is it a balance kind of is there one that's more important than the other yeah, it's, it's a balance. I think like it depends on the track. There's some tracks that are known as push tracks. And so obviously the um, percentage of like the push compared to the drive is higher on like the, the push would be more valuable on those tracks. Uh, but there are some tracks that are drivers tracks. And so the drive is very important there, but I believe that like, if it it's all, it, you have to have the whole package. You have to have the push. You have to have the drive. You also have to have the equipment. Um, and if you if one of those um, elements are amiss, then you, it's going to be hard, quite hard to kind of push up into those top spots. And I can imagine then the training aspect of it too. I mean, does it? I guess it doesn't differ that too much from what you were doing when you were in track and field, except you've got to, I guess, get used to running a little bit more on a different surface rather than an athletics track. You've got to run on some ice. So is that kind of the only key difference between the training of getting that power off those starts? Yeah, I think in the beginning I saw of it. I saw it very similar. I saw my track and field training being very similar to my bobsleigh uh, push training. But as I have trained more and more with the Germans, like I, I'm based in Germany and I'm training with a German coach over here. Um, I've become very more, way more specific with my training, and I've realised how different it is and. Um, like for example with track and field you have to spend the least amount of time on the ground because you're trying to be as fast as possible but with bobsleigh because you're pushing something heavy if you're spending not so much time on the ground you, you're not really moving anywhere so you do have to spend a little bit more time on the ground um and so that's where i think if you get more specific that's where those kind of things differ um, but yeah, it's been very exciting to work with the Germans because they're just world-class in their training and their knowledge about the sport. Um, and so that's how I've become so successful when it comes to pushing. How much leg day do you have to do? Like you, everyone talks about skipping leg day. Yeah. I'm guessing you're never skipping leg day then. No, no, no. It's leg day every day. Leg day <laughs> every day, which, uh, you know, and, yeah. and how heavy is a sled when you're pushing that down off the start line? How heavy is that? It's 170 kilos. So wow. it, um, two men and a monobob are actually the same weight. So wow. two men, obviously, I have a little bit of help at the start. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the monobob, I'm doing it solo. So there is a little bit of difference um, with the push techniques. Obviously, the two men is a bit faster because you have someone at the back helping you. And the monobob, you have to be a little bit more patient. Um, but you obviously want to like get that thing moving as fast as possible. So yeah, it's been great to 
learn the different um, techniques over the last few years. I've really enjoyed the challenge. And in terms of moving to Germany, because I think the obvious question you'd probably get as an Australian winter athlete is where on earth are you going to do the training in Australia, particularly because we don't obviously have a, a bobsled track that we can sort of race down. So, I mean, when you were training in Australia, was it a case of just dry pushes and then you wanted to get that mm. sort of more realistic nature? So that's why you did head to Germany? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like at home, I have um, a push sled that I was doing just like I was just pushing on the track. I was pulling heavy sleds because pulling heavy sleds is similar to pushing heavy sleds. Uh, but obviously, it's just not the same. Over here in Germany, we have push tracks. And so they they just help you simulate the push start. It's just like it go you go down a hill and come up another hill and then you slide back. So yeah, they they're fantastic to train on and it's really great once you get your team over here you can start doing more and more pushes because we only have like two or three training runs per session on an actual bobsleigh track. So that's not much time for uh, athletes to practice as a team. So to be able to be in Germany and working on these push tracks allows us to do multiple pushes pushes in a session. So, yeah, it's fantastic to be over here. And I've created a great uh, cooperation with, like, Germany. And so they're, they're really helping us out. And I think that's why we've been able to excel so fast. How, how's the German? Do you, do you speak German at all or is it sort of coming <laughs> along? Or <laughs> it's, it's coming along. I mean, I've lived here for a year now and I still don't speak much German. <laughs> I understand it a little bit and so I can stand there and if I understand the general gist of a conversation, I can, uh, yeah, I know what they're saying, but I really do need to learn. Everyone's getting on my back about it now. They're like, Brie, you've lived here for a year now. You shouldn't be able to speak German. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, I am going to learn it this summer. (laughs) In terms of when you're pushing the sled and the the jumping into the sled itself, how much is that a a factor in in gaining time or anything along those lines? And what sort of training is involved in, in getting the good technique of climbing into that sled before you start driving it? Um, my coach will be very happy you asked this question. He actually did his uh, university thesis on this wow. because I feel like, yeah, and it's because it's an element of uh, pushing, I guess, that's kind of left behind. Like we are always focusing on the acceleration or on the downhill phase of the push, but no one's ever really focused on um, the actual loading into the sled. And it's not necessarily about gaining time at that um, phase. It's more about uh, jumping and, not, um, you know, impacting the sled too much. And so, so you don't, don't lose time. Uh, and so he actually try, uh, tested a few different techniques of how to load. And so now we know um, the best loading technique that isn't going to affect the speed of the sled as much. So, yeah, that does – it does require practice, um, but it's more – it becomes more of an, an innate thing if you do it time and time again and then that's how you can get in the sled as fast as possible because it's – as soon as you take your hands off the push bar at the start, you're not applying any more pre- uh, pressure into the sled. So it's just getting in the sled as fast as possible and getting your hands on the D-ring so then you're ready to drive because I drive with kind of – um, go-kart steering 
Um, it's not like a steering wheel or anything. It's more just of a, a pulley system. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's very, it's, it's, it is quite important because if you're, you, you haven't got your hands on the steering and then the sled goes from side to side, you've lost all your speed that you've created at the start. So yeah, it is, is important. And I can imagine just like when you were a hurdler, that, that amazing feeling of timing your start perfectly and hitting that first hurdle perfectly, that sort of buzz you get. I can imagine it's the same thing that when you get off the blocks perfectly, you've gotten a super fast time on your start and you get in that sled, you load it quickly, hands on the steering and you're off. That must be just an adrenaline kicking in that you're going, right, I'm, I'm on here right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you just described everything that kind of goes through my head when I hit a good start. So, yeah, it's, there's no better feeling than hitting a good start. And, like, sometimes you get into the sled and you haven't hit your start so well and you're like, oh, that wasn't so good. But then you get to the bottom and you, your time surprises you and you're like, oh, okay, that wasn't – maybe it wasn't so bad. But then, yeah, when you really know that you've hit a good start, that's, like, the best feeling and it builds your confidence leading into driving down the track. And speaking of feeling, I'm sure it's a question you get asked a lot, Brie, but what is that feeling like sliding down one of those tracks in a bobsled going that speed? I mean, there mustn't be anything like it. Uh, I think it would be close to driving like a Formula One car or like just for, you know, yeah, average person getting in, in like a roller coaster or something and like the feeling you get after it is just like, tingly and uh, and you're just filled with so much excitement especially when you've hit a really good run and um obviously when you're in a race and you get to celebrate with your teammates of, from doing a good result and so yeah there there i guess there would be feelings that you can compare it to but you wouldn't be able to describe it you just have to do it yourself <laughs> what well, one thing you could probably answer though is how sick of cowbells are you i mean do you kind of get sick of hearing them like <laughs> clanging along every single bloody track you go to yeah i mean this year was a bit sad we didn't have any spectators so um, <laughs> you missed the cowbells we <laughs> yeah we didn't have any cowbells this year but yeah that was that's a big tradition in the sport and honestly i think once they come back we'll all be excited to have them back but yeah it does get quite noisy at the start of some races especially on world cup and world champs um and you're trying to listen you and your teammate are trying to do your cadence to make your um start as perfect as possible and you're, you're struggling over the cowbells yeah no I'm, <laughs> I'm excited for the cowbells to come back i'm surprised that uh, maybe on the tv broadcast or maybe they did i don't know how they sort of dub sound in some sports maybe they dub cowbells for the tv audience at least so it sounds like it's a normal event basically yeah, nah, they didn't do that. But yeah, it was uh, it was it was very quiet at the start this year. It was a bit weird. As I mentioned at the top, uh, the recent World Series, you you did finish second in that one. Got a couple of wins in that uh, event. What was that like? The, I mean, how did you feel in terms of the overall aspect of it? Obviously, getting a silver medal is pretty good. At the end of uh, the the series, a couple of wins, as I said, were you satisfied with your performance across the recent World Series? Yeah, I definitely think like for us, it was, it was just kind of breaking through um, and kind of showing that we can challenge some of the top athletes in the world. And so, yeah, to come away with the second overall was fantastic. And then obviously to win um, a few races along the way was our goal this year. I knew I had the push. I knew I had the drive. It was just a matter of putting it all together. Um, 
these these sleds that we used this year were actually different to the sleds that I've used in the past. So um, it was a kind of a quick learning curve on how to drive these sleds. Um, and it was a lot trickier than we all originally thought it would be. And so it's just a matter of adapting as fast as you can. Um, and yeah, I think, I think we did a pretty good job on it. We, there's still a long way to go and there's still a lot of learning to do, especially when we go and slide on the new Beijing track. Um, but yeah, really happy with the results that we had this year. And it must be a pretty proud moment too. I believe you're the first ever Australian to ever medal in a, in a bobsleigh world cup event. So, I mean, to kind of Mm. have that as a history breaking moment for yourself too, must be a pretty proud achievement. Yeah, and I think it's funny because I watched back on that race and my reaction at the end was so mundane to what I was feeling inside. But I think I was just shocked that we actually did it. You know, like we we had a goal. We knew that I had the ability in me to achieve that. And when I crossed the line and I saw the number one against my time, I was like, huh we actually did that. (laughs) And so that, that was a really, really proud moment for me. And then when to go and win again, the second time, the second time felt actually like I could get excited because that was a race. That was a really hard race. We had, um, I had Alana Myers Taylor, who was um, the Olympic silver medalist uh, behind me. She was sitting in second. So I knew she was coming for me. And so I knew I had to be on my game and I was with warming up with her at um, the, before the second run. And I was just like, wow, I'm warming up with Alana Myers Taylor and you have to kind of pinch yourself at those kind of moments. But then I, I quickly like refocused because I knew I had to like execute the best run possible because I knew she was coming for me. So yeah, it was, that race was a really fun to win and it was a really proud moment that I could do that for Australia. Given the the small number of, uh, I guess, athletes in the field of monobob, I mean, I can imagine you guys obviously get to know each other quite well, get quite close on the tour, but is there, is there much trash talking in, in bobsled? Like, is there kind of some, you know, mind games going on before just to kind of throw people off before they go down the uh, track? Uh, not really. We're, it's a very small community. And so I think we're all very supportive of each, of each other. And I have quite a few good friends within um the the circuit honestly i think it's more trash talk from the boys like (laughs) saying that like oh this person's coming for you da 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 and so it's 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 funny when it comes to those guys though because you just laugh it off but yeah not really i haven't experienced it personally anyways you could you could start it. Australians are good sledges, aren't we? So I mean, you know, come come. Yeah, but I, I've said this. I've said this before. I feel like you know Europeans would take our sledging too seriously. Like they wouldn't take us. <laughs> they wouldn't take us as a joke. They would think I'm being serious. <laughs> <laughs> just put some put some Vegemite in their sled or something like that, and just oh sorry, yeah, you know, yeah, I had yeah. a had a big meal last night. Just um, oh yeah, <laughs> what 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 did I eat there? What is the process now between now and and Beijing? What is the the qualification? process how can you get that ticket booked for Beijing next year 
Well, we're waiting for our new um, selection criteria from our federation that has just gone to draft with the Australian Olympic Committee. So hopefully that'll be out by the end of the month and then we will know what boxes we need to tick um, so we don't have repeat of what happened at the last um, Olympics. But then it's just a, being able to um, achieve a top 20 position in the two-man and the monobob event. There is also a combined ranking now um, and I'm not entirely entirely sure of what like what number I'm assuming that will it'll be we have to achieve a top 20 spot there um and I guess if we tick all those boxes then uh, we will be able to go to we'll get a quota position and, and be able to go to the Olympics so yeah that all that process once uh, our criteria comes out I'll sit down with my team and I'll be like this is what we need to achieve we need to do bup 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 and um then yeah we just go forth with our off-season training and then attack for it it must bring some confidence then given what you've achieved uh, on this season looking ahead to Beijing because as I said at the beginning I'm not going to say if you make the Olympics it's when you make the Olympics and I can mm -hmm. imagine that going into that based on how you've just performed that you've got a realistic shot at a medal. I mean, I, I'm sure you don't want to get over the top and think about these things, Brie, because ultimately you've got to focus on qualifying and then you can sort of take that next step there. But I mean, is this something that you realistically believe that in little under a year's time, you could be challenging for a medal at the Olympics? Yeah. I mean, all, all I'm really focusing on is producing the best performance that I can on the day, because that's all really that I can uh, like have impact on I can't in, I can't affect like how the other athletes go and and everything like that all I can do is just focus on me and produce the best results I can and at the end of the day if that results in a medal fantastic that's a cherry on top of all my hard work you know um so for me I just kind of keep it simple and focus on what I need to do and yeah, just produce the best result I can on the day. So yeah, it's it, it, those kind of things when people say, "Oh, you're hunting for a medal." Of course, I'm hunting for a medal. Like that's a that's a given for an athlete. But yeah, it's not really what my main focus is. My main focus is on me and what I need to do. Well, I tell you one thing: when you do make the Olympics, and then Channel Seven shove a camera in your face and do some ten-minute promo about your backstory and about how you're one of our biggest hopes, just like tell them no because. I'm telling you now, this is a it's a bloody thing Channel 7 does at the Winter Olympics. They talk everyone up to the point where if they don't win a medal, everybody gets angry at the athletes. And it's like, no, get angry yeah. at Channel 7 because Channel 7 are known for overpromoting. So I'm telling you now, Brie, just tell Channel 7 no. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually have seen that. And it's and you even I even get caught up into it a little bit. Yeah. So I was like, oh. That person didn't win a medal. Oh, that's that's weird. Like I thought that they were medal hopes, and so I get that. And so I definitely know the hype around the media and uh, and the perception it can give to I guess the general public. And and so yeah, for me, it's going to be I'm just focusing on what I need to do, and I'll probably end up blocking a lot of those media outlets um, during the games because it's it's none of my business. You know, it's, I don't need to worry about what they're saying about me or anything like that. I hope it's good but um i i for me it's it's not where my focus needs to be in terms of uh obviously the, the pandemic and, and preparations and everything has that has that hampered much in terms of what you've been able to practice and kind of go out there or is bobsled kind of immune from it because i guess you're not kind of really around that many people i guess 
No, it, it hasn't impacted us a fair bit. I mean, uh, when I finished see- my season in 2020 last year, I had to make the decision, do I go home to Australia or not? Because I wasn't too sure whether I was going to be able to come back to Germany. My my boyfriend is on the German bobsleigh team, so obviously I'd like to be here with him. Um, and then obviously my coach. And, and so I was like, do I go home? Do I stay? And so I actually decided to stay. So I haven't been back to Australia in like 18 months now. And so for me, that was a, that was a huge impact that the pandemic has had. Um, other than that, though, our lives are very simple. We wake up, we train, we eat, we sleep, we train, we, you know, eat, sleep again. And so, <laughs> um, so like in terms of how the pandemic has affected my day-to-day life, it hasn't really had that much of an impact. We wear masks all the time over here in Europe. Um, and then when it came to the actual season, uh, yeah, we obviously couldn't have spectators. We had to have uh, two COVID tests a week. Um, we wore masks all the time, which was very hard to warm up and breathe. That, that was something that was quite tricky. Um, we weren't allowed to hang out with our friends, so we couldn't really go and see other teams or do anything like that. So that was really hard for me. Like my boyfriend and I, we were both on the World Cup circuit for the first time. And we couldn't even see each other. So I spent six weeks away from him, even though he was like right around the corner. Um, So, yeah, it had small impacts, but I guess like, especially in bobsleigh, you have to be very adaptable in this sport. And this year just showed us all like how adaptable we had to be with what was thrown our way. So, yeah, I'm sure other athletes can, um, you know, say the same thing that the sport, uh, that the pandemic has affected them and competing and stuff. But yeah, everyone's got a different story to tell, I guess. I feel like you need to give your boyfriend a plug. Who is he? Should we be watching him in Beijing next year? Is he a medal shot himself? Yeah. Is he? Yeah. I mean, the Germans are always a medal shot. So <laughs> yeah, his name's Christian Hammers. He's on Bob team Harfa. Uh, this is their first year competing a full world cup circuit because Germans are obviously very competitive. They've got about six or seven teams that could compete at that world cup level. Um, so yeah, they're, they're in the hunt for an Olympic spot. It's very hard. There's probably one other team that has a shot to be able to, um, you know, take Christian's place at the Olympics, but yeah, half, uh, Christoph Harfer, who's his pilot is a fantastic pilot. And I really do think he has a shot of making the games, but it's going to be a, a long summer. It's going to take a lot of work for them to be able to do it. So the dream is for us to both be at the next Olympics that, that like, that'll tick a big box for us. So yeah, we just got to hustle this summer and make sure that we, um, do everything that we possibly can to make the next Olympics together. See, I remember in Cool Runnings, the Germans were the evil people there, Bree. So just get him to come and compete for Australia if he if he can't, you know. Just like, <laughs> I'm sure he probably would get a slot in Australia if he, if he just happens yeah. to miss out for for the Germans. So just yeah, word yeah. of advice, maybe. You no, know. no, he has he has said that he's like, oh, maybe when I retire, I'll just go and you know slide for a bit of fun in Australia. I was like, hey, we're we're serious country here, but no, he um he, he um 
he he actually has suggested that and thought it would be a little bit of fun. But for now, he wants to make a Olympic berth as a German athlete because I think if you do that, you're one of the best in the world. And because yeah. uh, Germans are the best in the world, there's undeniable. It's undeniable. So, yeah, I, I really keep my fingers crossed for him, and I'm, and he works very hard. So I really hope that they're able to do that. Well, we, we have a habit in Australia of uh, poaching other countries' uh, athletes for the Winter Olympics. Dale Begg-Smith, of course, won a gold in 2006, a Canadian who couldn't keep mm-hmm. his internet business. So uh, there is that. Now, we're going to wrap it up with a set of final questions here, Bree. But just before before I get to these, I need to ask you, do you give the sled a name and do you talk to the sled on the way down? Is it like your car, like when you get a car, you <laughs> give your car a name and you talk to it if it's being shit? Do you do that with the sled? Um. A little bit. I mean, some pilots are really weird and they, and they, you know, get really attached to their sleds. I, I do a little bit. I, What's it I called? Feel really Have bad. you given it a name? Yeah. My, my two man, I've given my two man a name. It's Black Beauty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I feel really bad. Like if I've had a bad day and I've banged a sled around a little bit, I, I talk to it, but it's more of a joke, you know, like it's, it's a funny, and then my team thinks I'm a bit crazy. Nah, but it's, it, it, like you do a little bit sometimes you've quite come quite attached to your sled and you want to be able to work with it very well so yeah i guess it comes naturally sometimes <laughs> well just just a, another friendly tip come beijing you've got that green and gold monobob sled please mm. call it ben because i would love to represent the olympics in some capacity and if i'm a sled <laughs> i'll take it and then that way when you win a medal i can say that i'm an olympic medalist because i got you down to the bottom of the, the track all right. If if I'm painting it green and gold for the Olympics, maybe I'll name it Ben. Okay. Big Ben. Yeah, Big yeah. Ben. Take it. Absolutely. And there you go. And then that's the one time you say yes to Channel 7. I'm going to like, thanks to Big Ben for getting me to the bottom of the track. It worked a treat. <laughs> got that gold around your neck. Uh, Bree, we've got yeah. a set of uh, fun questions to ask you at the end. As I was mentioning to you off air, these are based on a questionnaire that the Canadian Olympic Committee put to their athletes before each of the Olympics. So it's a bit of fun. Mm-hmm. You're, you're lucky that you get to skip a couple of the questions because here when they fill it out, they get them to draw a picture of themselves and things like that. So we're not that fancy <laughs> here. We just, I mean, you can if you want to, but just... Just we'll go over the ones we can ask you on air right now. Uh, what is your favourite ever Olympic moment? Oh, I mean, that's hands down probably Kathy Freeman winning it at the 2000 Olympics. I also think that Stephen Bradbury was probably oh, yeah. like being a winter, winter Olympian, like a winter athlete, like you have to commend him on it, like just hanging in there. And and I think I don't think a lot of people know the background story of that. Oh, but he yeah, competed in every single heat, yep. and every single heat he got through because people were crashing. And I was just like, that is like just continuing to pursue, even when you're behind. And I think that's like been a big inspiring moment for me because there's been times when I've been behind and I've just kept going and going and going and like you know you start to climb up the ladder and you're like yeah just like Stephen Bradbury you know yeah and I, I highly recommend uh yourself or anyone read his autobiography it's really inspiring just and the, the journey that it took for him to to get there I mean he nearly died a couple of times basically doing this sport <laughs> and um 
it's it's ridiculous. Of course, people forget that he was part of our uh, short track team that won a bronze in Lillehammer. Of course, our very first ever Winter Olympic medalist. He was part of that. So, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. I'm going to go read the book. It's then. <laughs> it's very it's very worth it. It's very much a, it's a great read. And um, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of great documentaries too, sort of mini ones on YouTube about him. But uh, no, he was mm-hmm. part of that famous team in Lillehammer. So he's a two time Olympic medalist. I don't think people ever realize that. So uh, yeah, yeah, great great guy, Stephen. What a legend. Um, if you could have a superpower what would it be oh oh would it be really boring to say like run really fast no like i would like to i would like to be able to like go to the shops really quickly and then like <laughs> speed around the shops and come back you like know like just go yeah, there and do yeah. it yeah yeah something works. like a flash helping <laughs> your bobsledding too i can imagine might get you there a little bit quicker yeah, exactly. <laughs> you probably just run down the track and still, you know, go faster than everyone else. I mean, that, I'd pay to see that. That'd be good. Uh, now, I feel like there's an obvious answer to this one, but uh, you might uh, surprise me here. What is your favourite sports movie? Uh, <laughs> can, I, can I say The Blind Side? Of course you that's can. Like one, yeah, that's, that's my favourite movie and that's like a sporting movie and I, I love that movie. I mean, Cool Running's sure. It is a, it is one that's of my That's a cliche favorite. one for your sport. Like. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, The Blind Side is one of my uh, favourite movies. Great movie, great movie. Good answer. Uh, what is your funniest childhood memory? Uh, oh, hilarious. Me and my sister were playing, playing hide and seek from my grandma. And, uh, we wanted to find a really good hiding space. And I, and I saw that her car boot was open. And so I, I like said to my sister, I'm like, quick, let's get into this car boot. And we got into the car, car boot. And uh, little did we know that the top of the car boot was also like completely trapped. So we were like, completely trapped in this car boot wow um and we couldn't get out and so we had to like bang and scream on the the, the car boot the, until my granny heard and like let us out wow but yeah that's probably my funniest childhood memory it felt like we were in there for ages but i honestly only think we were in there for two minutes or something <laughs> it's like your neighbor doesn't walk past and all of a sudden think you've been kidnapped or something like that your grandma could have yeah, been arrested it was, yeah it was every time i actually see those like movies and I see people are trapped in the car boot. I was like, that could have been us. <laughs> wow. Jeez. There you go. Uh, what is your favorite pump up song? Uh, it's Beyonce formation for ah, sure. Great. Is um, there much of that going on before you get like, before you get on the, the track or you've got the, the, the beats on or something like that and you're kind of pumping yourself yeah, up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the day. If I'm really nervous, I switch to more calmer move, music and I, I try and like calm myself down. Um, but if I like, you know, if I have a good vibe happening that day, yeah, it's generally Beyonce probably great. majority of the time. Right. Yeah. She gets me fired up. You can install like some speakers in Big Ben in Beijing and kind of pump it down when you're going down the track. Yeah. You know, it's modifications. We've, we've, yeah, yeah, we've we've had that idea multiple times actually. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if that's one of those criteria then that they maybe might frown upon to get you to the Olympics. Probably. So uh, maybe outside of that. Um, who is or what is your favourite sporting team? Ooh, oh, 
can I again be cliche and just say the Bombers because yep. I'm a big I'm big Bombers fan. <laughs> uh, are, we, are, we, are we are we talking Essendon Bombers here, obviously? Or yes, yeah, of yeah, course. Of course. Uh, Bree, yeah, we've yeah. had a it's a bit great time today. I've got to I've got to go now. Sorry, this is a. <laughs> Ooh, are you a Collingwood fan? Oh God, no! I'm not that bad. <laughs> Try the other rival. Oh, like- uh, who Carlson? Yeah, Richmond. No, no, Carlson, no. You got it the first time there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, you know, you can't be perfect. So let's just um, let's, yeah. let's <laughs> put it that. Way. Do you follow it? Like, I mean, I, I, living here in Canada, it's also you know kind of difficult to get with the time difference and everything. But is it something that you kind hmm. of work around to watch the games when you can? Yeah, I mean, this year I actually want to um, buy the AFL channel. I Mm -hmm. am a big AFL fan. I just haven't, like, you know, time difference. It's really hard. So I'll watch the 15-minute recap with my boyfriend and I'll get so emotional during it. And he's, like, he laughs, laughs because he's like, you know the result already. And I'm like, I don't care. That was a stupid kick. (laughs) I know exactly. And does he get into it, though? Like, does he get into AFL? Yeah, he, he loves um Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody. Like uh, that's yep. his favorite player. And he's and he's like, Can you be successful so then we can go do like a meet and greet at the bombers <laughs> and I can meet Tipper? <laughs> well actually and it's, I'm it's- like, oh. It, it can happen. I, I randomly remember being at a, the opening round, oh, maybe like it would have been 2010 because it was when Lydia Lassler won the gold. And before the mm-hmm. opening bounce, they kind of like, and now let's honour our Winter Olympic champions. And Lydia Lassler like, hey, wave to the crowd. So, hey, opening round next year, you could say, bugger Richmond Colton, I want to go to the ascending game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a. I think that's a. If that's what I get out of being successful <laughs> in my sporting career, I'll be a happy woman. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Go for it. I see. I, I may hate the Bombers, but David Zaharakis to me has the best commentary name in any team. That is just a commentator's uh-huh. gold dream. That is amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a there's a lot of them out there, but I, I like I love the bombers, and I would really really love to be able to go and meet them one day. So, and I mean, I would hope that Christian could then go meet them, and I, yeah, it would be <laughs> fanboying out over Tip and Woody, just just going yes. that way. So, yes. Oh my God, it's Tip and Woody, and, and me, and Martin yeah. was probably going, "Who's this guy?" And it's like, "Oh, just a German Olympic gold medalist." Ah, so who cares? Got to go kick a footy. So, so uh, what was the most recent TV show that you binge watched? Oh, um, oh, what was it recently? Uh, I've, I've been watching a new one called Ginny and Georgia. That's okay. a, that's a new, that's a new one on Netflix. Um, I'm trying to think what I recently, I, I'm always been watching friends. Like yeah. always. You're back on the good books now, Bray. Good choice. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm me and Sarah, my teammate this year, when we didn't know what to watch, we would just throw on friends, that or Grey's Anatomy. Oh, depend- so you had it. Depend- you lost it then. So, you know. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, it, depend- it depended on our mood. Yeah. But, yeah, Friends Friends is always a crowd favourite. It's, it's that show that it doesn't matter how many times you watch it. You just you you go. Oh, I've seen this episode a hundred times, but you don't care because you're gonna laugh and yeah. enjoy it anyway. So uh, again, Christian doesn't really understand it, but I also think he doesn't understand the, the uh, English humor sometimes. Right. So okay. <laughs> maybe is there like a German version of Friends? I can imagine it'd be very serious and angry. I don't know how that would work. But, um, <laughs> no, I don't think so. No. Okay. That's that's another that's another uh, question for another day. Uh, what is your least favorite food? Oh, um, uh, least favorite food. 
I'm sure like my teammates could like say this, but I, I can't really think of it. I hate the smell of tuna. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you eat tuna though? Like, Can you eat it? After I, I do. I do eat tuna, but I just hate the smell of it. Right. So, but it's, uh, I don't know. Can't, I'm, I, I, eat, I eat most things. I'm not that, like, I'm not horrendously fussy. Well, we'll take onions. that award. Oh, onions. onions. All right. Okay. No, I really hate onions. They give me a stomach ache. I hate the smell of them. Yeah. I don't like the taste. Yeah. Okay. Onions. onions. No onions for brie in Beijing. Just uh, note that okay. one. Uh, what is your favorite chip flavor? Uh, I'm going to be super, super boring here. Plain. I really okay. like just plain chips. Original. Nothing wrong with that. That's uh, do, yeah. do, do you just eat them plain or like my mum used to eat plain chips, but then she would dip them in tomato sauce. That was her weird thing. But no, yeah. no, no. I just eat the plain chips. Just eat chips. them plain. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, mum. If, if, if I if I do eat chips, I don't really eat chips all that often, but I, I just like them plain. Can't imagine that's an approved dietary uh, food for for a bobsledder, mm. probably. Uh, yeah, I mean, we want we like if I need to put on weight because like weight does a, a, like impact our sport a fair bit. So, um, if I need to put on weight, you know, I go to town on some chocolate and some chips, but it's just to keep the calories up. <laughs> must be a pretty shit part of the job. It's like, bro, you're too thin. Get fat. Oh, I have to eat good food. Oh, what a shame. Yeah. It's a real contrast to what track and field was. Like in track and field, I was always trying to lose weight and be as thin as possible. And then now with Bob's like, they're like, you need to be fat. Like, oh, okay. So basically at the Olympic Village next year, you can just load up on the Big Macs the night before, right? Just go to Macca's yeah. and just, just load up. Oh, got to eat 50 Big Macs. I'm competing tomorrow. What a shame. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, if you weren't an athlete, what would you be? Ooh. Ah. Uh. If I wasn't an athlete, I mean, I'm, I like, I'm a qualified teacher. Like, wow. I, I love teaching, but uh, maybe I'll be a bit more interesting. When I was younger, I wanted to be a zoologist ah. because I really liked, I really liked animals and nice. I was like, yeah, wanting to work in a zoo with all the cool animals. That um, works. But that was, yeah, I think that was just a dream. I think my mum knocked that out of my system very quickly. It's going to say that when you, uh, you know, if you ever become a teacher after your your career's over in in bobsled, you can just always take them for field trips to the zoo and kind of just, you know, hey yeah, kids, sure, go to the yeah. zoo again. Oh, what a shame! Yeah. You know, that what a shame. Yeah. Uh, what is your favourite vacation spot? Um, uh, yeah, I think it would uh, actually be probably Cairns, like where my family lives now. Yep. Um, that, that was a really beautiful place there. I haven't been there as much as I would like over the last few years. Um, but places that I have been before is Hawaii. That was a really cool place. Um, so I'd love to be able to go back to go back to Hawaii. Um, and, but yeah, always going home to visit the fam and see adventure cans is, is really fun. I also appreciate the parallels there that you're spending so many months of the year, no doubt in cold climates and snow that often, you know, Hawaii and Cairns are kind of pretty good yeah. destinations to go to after all that winter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a shock to the system. Like when I finish season, it's like minus 10 degrees and snowing. And then I go to Cairns and it's like 
36 degrees and 100% humidity. So my body goes into a little bit of shock, but yeah, it's it, it's still nice to be able to, you know, feel your fingers again. <laughs> Can you just quickly back something up for me though? Like I know since living in Canada, I'm still such an Australian that I get excited for snow. I'm sure it probably snows a lot more in your part of the country there. It doesn't really snow much here in Victoria, but it still snows. Do you, are you yeah. still that inner Australian? Like, oh my God, snow, I'm so excited. Yeah, it, I am. I, I like when it starts snowing, I'm like, oh, it's so beautiful. But when it starts affecting the sport, that's <laughs> when I'm like, I hate snow. Like when when um, you're struggling to get up the hill with a truck because there's so much snow or like there's too much snow in the track and there's like big track delays because they're trying to sweep the snow out of the track. That's when I'm like, oh, snow. But yeah, you still, the inner Australian always comes out at the beginning of the season when you see the snow. You're like, oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> Glad I'm not the only one. People think I'm weird here when I get excited over snow. Uh, the final one for you today, Bree. what is one word that people usually describe you as? Determined determined i like that yeah perfect that's uh get you pumped up there going forward with that brie it really has been a pleasure chatting with you on off the podium today to learn more about monobobbing more about bobsled more about your career and we will definitely be cheering you on over the next uh 11 or so months before beijing fingers crossed for beijing you're gonna be there you're gonna get a medal big ben's gonna get a medal too and it's gonna be <laughs> celebrations all around and we'll get you back on we'll get big ben on at the same time and we can talk about how great it is to be an olympic gold medalist and how it was meeting the Essendon bombers oh the, yes yeah that's the only reason i'm doing all this now thank you for having me <laughs> and a great chat there from Bree, lots to learn, lots of fun to be had. And as I said at the very top of this interview, it is a name that you will know in less than 12 months' time. Be it because she gets to meet the Essendon Bombers, her sole purpose for, of course, competing at the Olympics, or because maybe she might have a nice gold medal around her neck. So uh, stay tuned for that and watch Big Ben get to the bottom of that track. I'm holding her to that. That will happen next year, I can guarantee you it. Now, of course, we have a lot of great guests still to come in the lead-up to both the Beijing and Tokyo Olympics. We've got so many planned. We're going to be covering now bases for a long time in the coming weeks, and you will get to know these athletes, you will get to know their stories, and you will know their names come the Olympic Games as well. And not only just current Olympians, people who are going towards Tokyo, towards Beijing, but some former Olympians as well that we're going to get on the show to talk about their careers and what they've been up to since. We've got a great lineup of guests that will get you very, very excited. I mentioned on our Tom O'Halloran interview that we are attempting to tick off all the sports, essentially, go through all the different sports in both the winter and summer games, try and cover all our bases, and we've got a few lined up that we've never had on the show before. I'm talking gymnasts. I'm talking curlers. I'm talking Nordic combined, which I get a little bit too excited for. Biathletes are lined up. Volleyball players, fencers, judo players i know there's a technical term for a judo player but i'm saying a judo player right now we have them coming your way so get excited plenty to keep you entertained as you wait so patiently for the olympic games we've waited a little bit longer than we usually do and if you're like me and get obsessed with the olympics too much it's been way too long without some olympics so we're so looking forward to tokyo and hopefully it will happen 
Big thanks again to Bree for her time. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Remember to like us on Facebook. We're on Twitter now, of course, too. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe where all good podcasts are available. Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Podcasts. We're probably on a podcast station on Mars. I don't know, but check us out if you're listening to on Mars. We appreciate your support from all that distance away. Thanks for tuning in to Off the Podium. My name is Ben. We'll speak to you next time. Good night. (laughs) 